0: Welcome to Executive Tools, Executive Feedback, Chapter 1, Wickedness, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. Do executives give feedback? Do executives get feedback like managers? How is executive feedback different from managerial feedback? Well, if we want answers to these questions and more,
1: keep listening. Here we go. Let's now apply this conceptual framework, de facto and du jour, to performance communication systems and let's learn the example of executive example setting if there is no special rule or process for top executives then their duty is to do whatever the organization systems say they're supposed to do so in other words if the vp of hr hasn't said hey folks you don't need to write reviews let's do something different from the top people because it's just an administrative exercise and we don't need written reviews on the top 50 people or the top 20 or the top 10 or whatever okay By the way, often the VP of HR doesn't want to ask their boss to do that and they wait until the boss hasn't done a couple and then they suggest to one of the, like the COO, they say, hey, why don't you just go tell the CEO? It's stupid for us to be arguing about reviews when I know he or she's not going to do them. Why don't you suggest that he'd tell me I don't want to do them anymore and I'll come up with a system? That's, Sometimes how it happens, depends on the relationship between the CEO and the EVP or now, nowadays, I'm sorry, the CPO, the chief people officer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have so many chiefs, so many people want to be chiefs and no Indians left to fight the battles. So again, in, in the normal system, if there's no special rule, then the executives would be writing performance reviews. Written performance reviews annually on a calendar basis Common example, right? Okay, so in the first example of this use case, our executives do in fact follow the system because they're not exempt from it and they know it. The CEO actually writes a review of his COO and the VPHR logs a copy into the system that they use for reviews. By the way, we'll spend some time, some other time on the worthlessness of performance review systems. Unbelievable. Literally a boondoggle of HR. Anyway, okay, lovely. Well done, boss. I I love it when the bosses actually do what they're supposed to do. Now, separately, I would argue, I wish they were doing something else because the CEO doesn't need to be writing stuff down, but whatever. But the system is that they're not exempt. And because they're not exempt, they actually do what they're supposed to do. And the entire organization knows this because it's a form of example setting. Imagine, the VP of HR only has to tell some director one time, you know, the CEO has all of her reviews in already. Your name is going to be on the list she sees that isn't compliant. Holy crap. <laughs> I'd be like, ah, okay. Nah, I'll do it. Yeah, you think? Yeah. 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 Actually, it would never happen because some senior person would get a list and it would come down. And when it got to your level, if you were a frontline manager or senior manager, your boss would be like, do you have any idea what my boss just said to me in my meeting with him when your name is on a list? It'd be like Steve Martin getting really upset in a movie, right? Can't even speak. You can't do an administrative task and I get my butt chewed by my boss in front of other people in a staff meeting? Seriously, you have a half an hour. Write them. Yeah. (laughs) So, But okay, different example now, but also useful. The CEO and other top execs are in this situation specifically exempted from the performance review system. At some point in your promotion path at this company, along with some briefing that these that this person would get about executive contracts and stock options and warrants and compensation consultants they would be told of their new responsibilities relative to performance reviews they may have to write them but they wouldn't receive them right you're in a different system now typically that would mean detailing of some other way for them to hear how they're doing from their boss probably verbally with notations to the board, perhaps, depending upon the size of the organization. Again, a lovely system. There are very good reasons for such a system in many, not all, but plenty of situations that that would be completely legit and smart, frankly, and I would be totally behind it. And in this example, the execs who are covered by the different system conform to that system, just like the previous example. They know their boss doesn't owe them a written review, But their boss complies and gives them a conversation. And I mentioned that the board, your name is on a list of people that gets briefed to the board. Strengths and weaknesses, semi-annually maybe, right? And that boss also knows, the person who's been told he is not going to get a review, that he still has to write reviews. And he does. His directs know that he's not getting a review, which is kind of cool, actually, maybe. The board knows his name. That's kind of cool, actually but he's still having to deliver them, and he does. So, a tip of the hat to him. I mean, really classy. It's like the old saying, he has to pay, but he doesn't get to ride. I've always thought when people say, oh, he didn't pay, but he got to ride. That's exactly the opposite of professional ethical behavior. What we want is people who are willing to pay, who don't get to ride, who put other things, larger things, conceptual things above themselves. It's actually arguably even a better example, right? So, well done, okay? In both of these cases, guys, there are specific du jour systems, that's corporate systems are essentially laws or rules or principles, right? And the execs are behaving in concert with them. And here's what's important. It form- this formalizes a lesson that most of us probably intuited but didn't have words for. Dejure behaviors, in other words, the following of corporate systems, are at the core of all effective example setting in organizations, most no- most notably from executives. Managers and executives who follow organizational systems set honest examples and reinforce not only the system they are behaving in concert with, but other systems as well. Hmm. That's du jour. Yeah. Now, okay, so let's consider a different example. In this case, it's the most common in reality. There's only one system, which top executives are not specifically exempted from. Everybody has to write reviews, just like the first example at the top of these examples. Nevertheless, these top executives do not deliver performance reviews. This is what is most common in the world today. They don't, quote, have to, unquote, in their minds, because of the anecdotes that we mentioned, their power over HR and their power over probably virtually any organizational system, because the ta same I can do, you know, do you not know who I am? Do you <laughs> not see the title on my door? Do you not know how much I get paid? Do you not know that I sup, yeah. I sup with the CEO on a quarterly basis? Yeah. Let me explain this to you. <laughs> yeah. Let me explain. Yeah. Wait, there is too much. Let me sum up. Uh, What this means is that they are now engaging in de facto behaviors. The system has become de facto. The system is everybody does it. De facto, they're not doing it. And everybody knows it. Executive who are slightly below the level of those who are not following the system. Again, everyone knows no one's officially exempted. If if you report to some of those people that aren't doing reviews, They learn that to get promoted is to have rules not apply to you. They learn that some organizational systems can be ignored. They learn their boss puts himself above those rules because he's supposed to help them by writing a review. That's what the company says they're supposed to do, but he doesn't do it. They learn also, and argue with me all you want, but this is where the lid slams closed on these arguments. They also learn in their own consciences, that one of the benefits of promotion is the power to corrupt the organization you're responsible for by ignoring its rules, its mm. systems, and the order that holds it together. That's what they learn. Everybody learns it. That ain't good. I know. It's just it, it's, and, pe- and people seem to think, no, 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 it's not like that. It is like Yeah, that. of course it is. We have consciences. That's, the, I mean, all this stuff springs from fundamental human behaviors over tens of thousands of years and the beauty of aggregation of human capabilities. And then, oh, I get to do what I want. What happens next is the executive who doesn't get a review but is still obligated to give them starts not giving them. And she, she can get away with it, she thinks, because she probably, maybe, has enough power, that HR's referential power isn't enough to trump her. If she's a top performer and her boss is supposed to give her a review but doesn't, and the VP of HR goes over and says, hey, you're, you, you know, you have to give a review, yeah, I'm not going to give it. And by the way, she's my top, so don't, don't mess with her. Let her do what she wants to do. I'll take the heat if my boss is going to give me heat. And of course, he knows his boss isn't. And by the way, how hard will that person whose boss isn't giving it to her. So now she's not going to do what she is, again, specifically not exempted from. How hard will she work to insist that her directs deliver their reviews to their directs, which are her skips? Now, oh, she'll probably make them do them at some point when finally this this cascade of corruption, I know that sounds like too strong a word, but organizationally, that's what it is. At some point, they'll be held accountable and the reviews will get done. But there's no way that her people are going to get the impression that performance reviews matter, or worse, that their boss actually made a professionally diligent effort to prepare them, Seen as how they're two months late, short on content, and they damn well know that HR has asked for them four times, right? This is now the second part of it, which is de facto behaviors send a message that no system is really de jour, and putting oneself above the organization's systems and norms is a perk of power. It's the opposite of noblesse oblige. It is, I am God because my power comes from, I'm the king and I am God because my power comes from God. And then these same people are saying, I really want a really equal, equally quality, equitable world while they literally behave as if they are royalty whose power is derived from God, whom they don't believe in. De facto systems, people essentially ignoring the jure systems, undermine the critical function of cultural example setting, which all organizations basically rely on without thinking about. A big part of your job as an executive, folks, is to set an example. If you decide that you're bigger than the systems and processes in your organization, don't be surprised when the systems and processes you put in place get ignored.
0: Oh, my God. My not doing reviews is going to lead to the entire downfall, of the cultural and the the fabric of
1: my organization. Well, yeah, it's probably not that bad. I don't know you're making a case. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but people complain, oh, we can't get anything done here. Yeah. You set a really crappy example, dude, and you do it all the time. It's no wonder. Now, what what does all this signify? Why, Why is it significant? The concepts of de jure and de facto inform us executives about the special burdens of authority. It is not enough, folks, for us to consider what we ourselves can and cannot do or the potential benefits or cost to us ourselves of our own behaviors. The point of being an executive is you must now consider the costs to the entire organization of our own individual behaviors. Okay, now, one more thing about de facto and de jure behaviors. And they're exemplary, either good or bad. Most people think of exemplary as good, but actually it just means relative to an example. It can mean bad exemplary uh, and their exemplary effect on organizations. You'll remember times from when you were a manager. Some of you, you're still a manager that you looked up and didn't really understand, didn't know what your bosses were doing. You didn't know what the rules were at those higher levels. So you were generally accepting of whatever your boss did or didn't do and assumed it had some basis in the rules and systems of the organization at her level. You knew you didn't know, nor did your boss tell you, but you trusted. That's all you need. Now, project yourself. You're an executive now. You know that you're part of the organization. Beneath you doesn't know how things are supposed to go at your level this gives you a great deal of leeway. If you've been an executive for a while, it's already happened to you. You were confronted with a situation where you could do pretty much whatever you wanted and no one would have known any better. And in fact, there would have been an assumption that whatever you did made sense or followed some system or rule that they were unaware of, but clearly you wouldn't, while asking them to follow the rules and to pay attention to systems and to do what they're supposed to do and deliver on time, on budget, and you know, to high quality and so on, that you you wouldn't do something that was outside of accepted practices. You knew you would be given the benefit of the doubt. So, the question becomes, what should you do, right? And the answer is simple as it always is. You should do the right thing. It's that easy. That's why we have a conscience. Whether your organization will ever know or not is not the standard. The standard is, you'll know. Uh, a number of years ago, when I was living in Fredericksburg, Texas, I went to a like a fall festival in Texas. And it was you know you pay two bucks or three bucks to get in and there are uh can't you you can you can eat candied apples on a string or you know you can yeah, a little a little county fair right with a fall theme I think there was turkey shoot not actual turkeys but you know fire twenty twos that were really poorly maintained so you couldn't hit the target and so on and um I think my two oldest kids were, I don't know, six and eight. And I, in fact, I know Kate was probably eight years old because she couldn't have gone when she was five or six because she was sick with cancer. So we go and we're standing at this little teeny hut where the guy is there and there's a little thing to pay. And I says, okay, two adults. No, I'm sorry, four adults. And he says, well, no, they're kids. I said, no, it says five and under are free. He says, nobody's gonna know, dude. If you say they're five, they're five. I looked at him, I said, yeah, but I'll know. Yeah. And they'll know that you can lie, and they'll know, and they'll know, and this is the difference between being an individual contributor and a manager and executive. If you think people won't know, folks, people will know. Oh, people will know.
0: Yeah, therein lies the rub. Yes. Oh, exactly. I mean, even if you could put your head on your pillow at night, but
1: yeah, yeah. Kids, holy moly. Well, what I think I tweeted this recently in the last couple of months that little voice telling you not to do something will continue to tell you that until you have ignored it so many times that it knows you're not listening. And then it stops talking to you. And that's when things really go south. Yeah.
0: That's when you're in trouble.
1: Yeah. Which is a good segue to a a wicked environment. (laughs) Yeah, the wicked environment. This is my favorite part. So I actually wrote this cast wanting to bring this part up, so I'll get right to it. Everybody's wondering, why the wicked thing? Wendy told me this a month or two ago, and I just, if I had known this 20 years ago, I would have made wickedness a theme of virtually every feedback cast we ever did. Mm. It is is maybe the most fun idea that I wish I could apply uh, retroactively of anything, right? So I'll make it simple. Folks, do you know what psychologists call a system without feedback? Do you know what they call a scenario in which a human subject is expected to perform a task but is specifically and actively denied any information about the effectiveness or efficiency of their performance or its usefulness beyond their activity. In other words, you, you're essentially <laughs> operating blind. Psychologists call that a wicked environment. Now, folks, Man, that is so good. <laughs> uh, I know it's so good, it's almost too. It's almost sublime. Think about that for a minute. In a professional in a profession full of soft words, psychology, which today seems whose sole guidance to the world is please avoid placing blame with a vocabulary that they use, which is about perspectives and abstracts and assumptions and and different contexts and cultural relevancy and and competing priorities and the the lack of interest in holding people accountable. A system – they're saying a system or environment without feedback is considered morally evil. That's, if you don't know, that's the definition of wicked. Okay. What psychology is telling us is the subjecting others. If you're wondering, that's what subjects comes from. Okay. That you would subject others. That's why kings have subjects, because kings can subject others that's not where we live now some people unfortunately in the world do today but it's a ever increasing tiny 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 minority subjecting others to such a world a world without feedback a world without communication about how they're doing about without context about the value of what they're doing is to literally visit evil upon them oh my god this is great i mean so feedback model we oh. yeah, i know
0: it's evil yeah. it's, it's evil if you know. yeah it's <laughs> evil
1: yeah Yeah, it it makes you think about Google's thing. They've gotten a little off track maybe lately. Their first rule was, you know, do no evil. Yeah. The psychologists don't say that failing to give feedback is just culturally different and cultures have to be respected. No, they don't say that, folks. And, And from now on, when people say, well, culturally it's different, no, it's not. Evil is evil everywhere in the world. They don't say that failing to give feedback is inefficient, or lacks purpose, or could be improved, or is misguided. Oh, you just need some instruction. It's okay. You might expect them to. That's what they do in so many other areas in the study of psychology. And these things are true, that it is inefficient. It does lack purpose. It could be improved if you didn't give feedback. It is misguided. But even though those things are true, to the people who study these things, those characterizations, inefficiency, ineffective, so on, do not do the evilness of the idea justice. Calling a world without feedback inefficient or a different choice or my secret favorite hated phrase culturally different is like bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's like calling Hitler a petty criminal. It's like calling murder an unfortunate event, an occurrence, a happenstance. Soft peddling, the absence of feedback as an executive is intolerable. And I don't mean, when I say intolerable, I, I two words, intolerable and unacceptable, people use, well, this is intolerable. No, it isn't intolerable. You just tolerated it. Right. No, it's not unacceptable. You just accepted it. Okay. It isn't just different to not give feedback, you executives, and for that matter, you managers. It's morally repugnant. You are visiting upon another human being that which the people who study human beings for a living say is vile. Even in a world where unfortunately all things are relative... That's actually not true, but there are too many people to believe it. There is one thing that is not just not relative, but morally evil and repugnant, and that is a world without feedback. We can think of no more fitting label for the absence of feedback in our modern organizations than wickedness. And folks, I'm going to tie this all together now. The wickedness starts at the top with far too many executives eschewing their performance communication responsibilities both with reviews and infrequent verbal performance communications. Now, we used reviews as an example here because so many people think that reviews are part of performance communications. But if you've listened to us for a long time, a la Steve Holden and many others, you know that we disagree with the idea that performance reviews are part of the feedback system. But you have heard us talk about feedback so much, you know exactly where we stand on this. And certainly, verbal feedback is a part of performance communications. That wickedness starts the top, and that weakness among executives causes performance communications to be a weak system in virtually all organizations. Executives too often want to focus on their power and not accept the moral nature of their authority. They want to know what they can and can't do versus what they ought. And ought not to do. I mean, I'm going to butcher it, but we ask first if we want to be great. We ask first not what we can do for our organization, but rather what the organization can do for us. That's the corrupt way of thinking about it. We don't consider the incredible, exemplary reach of our own individual behaviors. We just want to know where do we sit and how much do we get and when's lunch. And when can we quit? After spending years and years decrying the performance communications that we wanted and didn't get as individual contributors and as managers and as senior managers, not getting, not getting, not getting, not getting, and fighting through it all because we believed in a better organization, a better world, a better us, a better sub-organization, right? Now we have the power. And we now do the same thing and take personal advantage of our power, engage in de facto behaviors rather than de jure behaviors. We don't take stock of our authority. We can take advantage of our unassailability because of our rule power. We set a wicked example and not a moral one. And the cycle continues. But you know what, folks? I'm going to tell you something. This is where I get pretty Mm, I, get emo- I get emotional enough, it reminds me of Michael Swinson, who sometimes gets so emotional he gets tears in his eyes mm. about things that make him angry. Folks, it is one thing to have wickedness visited upon you. One can be innocent in a scenario where wickedness is visited upon you. It is another thing, ladies and gentlemen, to be the one responsible for the wickedness. It's evil. It's tyrannical. It's villainy. So, Mr. and Ms. Executive, as Malcolm Forbes says, with all thy getting, get understanding. If you want your organization to improve, set the example in feedback. Set the honorable, I'm not kidding, honorable, just, I'm not kidding, the moral, I'm not kidding example. Anything else for an executive is wicked. And if nothing else, if you have learned nothing else in your life on this earth, renounce wickedness. Hmm.
0: Well said, my friend.
1: (laughs) I am going to get so much mail. Whoa, you were really, I'll tell you,
0: you know what? Yeah, folks. Hey, and the good thing about Zoom is I can, even though he's in the other room, I can see the tears in his eyes when he says that. Oh,
1: I could go on about this for an hour. I never feel morally righteous because I know I'm flawed. But I, I will tell you, if I had known that wickedness 20 years ago, we would have converted a lot more people to feedback, Mike. There are too many managers and too many executives right now who love one-on-ones and then tell me, well, I'm still struggling with feedback. Like, dude, it's been 10 years. Okay, you need to get over that. And yeah. I, I hope – look, I'm – I'm in imperfect vessel, an imperfect communicator, but my gosh, I hope I've touched some of you, not in your head, but in your heart. This is a huge opportunity for the organizations. And what that means is for the executives who lead those organizations to give yourself an enormous leg up on other organizations, to simply start engaging in the right behavior, the morally appropriate behaviors. And by the way, when you behave in a morally appropriate and upright way, you feel it. It feels good. It's your conscience saying, well done. You get your own internal positive feedback. That's yeah. what happens.
0: Well, and you don't even have to rely on your internal because you'll have so many people coming up to you yeah. in the near term and years later telling you what a difference you made in their yes. lives and how yes. their lives have benefited from what you did. And there's, there's nothing better than that. Uh, Man, it's just, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great.
1: Dude, I'm telling you, I got goosebumps.
0: Yeah. Renounce wickedness. Yeah. I love right. it. Yeah. I just envision you with a on a on a hill with a suit of armor with this silver <laughs> gleaming sword. <So>. Renounce <laughs> wickedness.
1: <laughs> and here's the thing that's what people associate with wickedness is something in the Middle Ages and the yeah, Crusades, exactly. but it exists here today. And it right. is around all of us. Goodness and evil is around all of us every day. And as Dumbledore said, I can't remember what – um, it is not one thing that determines our life. It is our choices, right? So, the yeah. choice you have is simple. But so many people don't understand that the, the, there, are, there are ethical underpinnings, the choices executives make. Because it becomes more ethical the more power you get because you affect more and more people. People say they want to make a difference. You're now making a difference in executive. What kind of difference do you want to make? A selfish one or a good one? Don't tell me. Guys, I got to tell you, if you want to call me and talk to me someday and say, I need some help with feedback, I'm going to give you a ration of you know what. Like, you're an adult now. You have significant responsibilities. This is not hard and you are behaving in a selfish way. Look, I love you and I'll help you. But you've got to feel a little bit of that shame. Shame is actually a necessary part of the human condition. Yeah. I did a wrong thing. I feel shame. It's a reminder. Don't do that again. Seek the moral good. You have an obligation.
0: Yeah, I should make a joke about it, but I, I'm just yeah, trying I to know. figure out in my, my head how I can change the, uh, the chapter art in the podcast to be our, our logo with a flaming sword
1: on top Yes, of it.
0: exactly, Exactly. <laughs> All right, my friend. That was awesome. Yeah, it's a good fun.
1: One of my all time favorites.
0: Yeah, mine too. Wickedness. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everyone. Everybody, renounce witness, say it all together.